in my world, we go a little slower. We have a little more patience for ourselves and other people. We take the time to notice what's around us and appreciate it, be in relationship with it. Yeah, I think it's kind of simple. <laughs> That's like my dream world. <laughs> It's Uncommon Good, the podcast where we chat to ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Paul e. Reese. Fam, I am thrilled, stoked, and honored to bring you today Naomi Ortiz. They are a poet, a writer, and visual artist whose intersectional work focuses on self-care for activists, disability justice, climate action, and relationship with place. They are a highly acclaimed speaker and facilitator with a leadership style emphasizing inclusion and spiritual growth. Their most recent book being Sustaining Spirit, Self-Care for Social Justice. In 2022, they were selected as a Ford Mellon Foundation Disability Futures Fellow. Quick content morning off the top, we do talk a lot about ableism and disability, so if those are things are not right for you to listen to, feel free, switch this one off, and we will see you in the next one. We go on to talk about crip hacks, that is, strategies of survival for disabled folk, the emotional and physical labor of survival itself, issues of equity, access, and education, the importance of play, and so, so much more. It kind of felt like with me being at the beginning of my disability identified life, that Naomi was acting as my disability big sib. So I'm so grateful for their presence. It was such an incredible privilege to co-learn with Naomi in this conversation. And they were so, so generous with their incredible and thoughtful answers. You will notice in this episode, a little more silence and also some accessibility components including a visual description. These are kept in intentionally to preserve the vibe of our chat. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Please enjoy my chat to Naomi. So first question I want to ask, um, as a lipshade newbie, like tips and tricks for like finding that perfect shade and then like not losing it. <laughs> you'll fall in love with a shade and then it'll disappear. I think that's just, it's like one of those things that maybe that's a spiritual practice in itself is getting used to <laughs> losing like these things that we get so attached to. Um, yeah. Yep. So really it's about the hunt, you know, taking it with you, trying to find a, a matching shade as close as possible. It's tough. I liken it to, because I, I remember as a kid, like going to the bookstore and like spending like hours, particularly like combing through graphic novels, like back before, like they were incredibly like popular back before graphic novels were graphic novels. Mm -hmm. um, and there being like rows and rows of like hundreds of and hundreds. Um, is it. 
are are the, are there normally like what are what are the ways to sort of like narrow it down? <laughs> That's a really good question. I feel like mine is super pragmatic because I'm a disabled person, and I yeah. if I'm in a store, I can't really like reach a lot if I'm using my scooter. Yes. Or if I'm not using my scooter, I can't stand very long. So it's very like, yes. this looks good. And <laughs> going with the gut feeling of um, sort of instant response. So maybe asking somebody who who has that ability to maybe stand and ponder. Because I don't have that. I tend to make a lot of impulse buys, which sometimes work out, sometimes do not. <laughs> the, so I, I remember one of our first interactions was in... Um... A, a, a course um, where you were leading a workshop, um, and I um, and I had mentioned as part of a preamble to a question that I'm newly disabled, and you very wonderfully said, "Welcome to the Crips." I was like, "That's perfect." Um, <laughs> I, I, I love this person's sense of humor already. I must I must chat and make friends with them. Um, is there? I wonder because one of the things that it is helpful, but also an incredible. Um, curse on mixed bag is buying things on the internet and then hoping that they'll be awesome and then living with the cycle of like returns and exchanges is there a way to be successful about buying things about buying nice things on the internet oh i have not figured it out if you figure it out i want the tips to that too (laughs) I actually don't end up just buying a lot of stuff. I, I don't have the patience a lot of mm. times for shopping, period. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I haven't I haven't dealt with that. I think, like, I end up, if I do, I end up buying things and then sharing them with other people who maybe they might look good on versus trying to figure out how to return it and do all that. So that's, like, that's, like, just a perennial state of, like, re-gifting. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Amazon giveth and then you giveth away. That's right. Yep. Fortunately, <laughs> I have so many friends with different skin tones and different, you know, like we can we can yeah. share and so it's got to look good on somebody. <laughs> Perfect. Um when you when you when you do get lucky and you find something that like yes, because I am I also like for for me i get very overstimulated like very easily like at a really really loud like uh counter like a like a store counter and i'm just sort of like nope so then like the arm just goes sort of like swipe all of you are coming home with me and like i've got like doritos a bowling ball um a pack of scallions and a moldy tomato um totally <laughs> but i got lucky like <laughs> And out of all of that, I might keep the scallions and I might like make some dinner from the scallions. Um, when you do get lucky um, and you do get lucky bringing something home, home from, from a shop, um, I imagine that must be like the best feeling in the world. It's the right shade. Um, the texture of it is right. Um, it's not expired. Um, <laughs> and then I make a plan to go back and get more. Because yes. then it's like you have that one thing. So you're like, okay, I know exactly where it is. I can make that my mission for the day to go in and just get that and then leave the store. <laughs> this this might uh, – we might not actually get to any of, like, the the really, like, insightful <laughs> stuff. This might end up just being, like, a, an episode of, of, like, me learning, like – me learning like disabled life like level one level one studies yep (laughs) 
we call them we call them crip hacks it's it's a very real thing Oh God! I I actually took like viewer. I actually took a post-it notepad out so that I could just start writing things down. Um, and so I'm, yes, crip hacks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but but I I do want to jump in into um, into that that a piece, and I and I suppose that's that that's a, like a great place to start. How to survive in a world that doesn't expect us or want us there? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I first got introduced to your writing, um, because it was the common, uh, it was the common read, um, for, uh, a spiritual direction course that I was taking. Um, thank you, Still Harbor, um, for, for, uh, connecting us via words, um, and then had the privilege of listening to you get to talk about your book and your work. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what brought you to the place of this, work of advocacy of justice um of of self-care um and even more recently being named a a writing fellow the fellowship is actually um by the ford and mellon foundation or ford foundation and mellon foundation Um, amazing but they yeah i was really fortunate to also be on the takeaway through npr which is a, a show so it was a lot of fun yeah, I um, yeah, I came to to activism really through growing up where I grew up. Like I live on the U.S. Mexico border, and I think a lot of the country doesn't understand that a lot of us who live in this you know fifty mile strip between or really where the U.S. meets Mexico uh, live in a lot of militarization, and so. Mm-hmm. We go through checkpoints very often. There's checkpoints on every road, which comes up um, from Mexico. Um, There's floating checkpoints. So you can go through checkpoints at any time, not just at the border. So I grew up with sort of this level of interrogation. Like, do you belong here? Do you, do you, you know, can you prove that you belong here? And then as a disabled kid, it was oftentimes the same kind of question coming in through special education, other education services, where it was a lot of times proof of, do I belong in mainstream education? Do I belong, you know, where I am? So I think that's one part of it. Another part of it that really brought me to this journey is the pace that I have to live at. I wasn't able to like run around with other children. I really, you know, for a variety of reasons, I was in a lot of casting when I was a kid. Uh, you know, had to sit in one place, which meant I was the kid that other kids would tell their problems to. I was also the kid who just sort of sat by myself on the playground and just looked at nature, whatever was around, you know, whatever cacti, whatever clouds, whatever, you know, whatever was was happening in the nature around me. And I found a lot of solace in that, I think, you know, outside of it, very early on, I was very clear about this difference between people support and and nature support, support that could come yeah. from other places. So I got involved in organizing and activism, really wanted to make changes in the lives of, you know, my friends, my family. And I was so excited about the language that activist communities used, like interdependence and that 
we were going to, you know, figure things out together and, you know, people cared about community. And then I got in there and it also replicated a lot of stuff that was really negative in the the communities I grew up in, which was, you know, the sense of urgency and crisis and things, people getting left behind very easily. Um, And a lack of creativity when it came to thinking about things that just take more work, which is oftentimes disabled folks. We need adaptations to get in the door. You can't just say, okay, this is like open to all community. We need changes in order to actually participate. We need ASL interpreters. We need maybe even areas where we can check out and be out of the stimulation for a moment and then rejoin. You know, we need some like very creative, oftentimes not too expensive, uh, you know, adaptations in order to participate in community. And so I was doing a lot of work with border activism with, um, I did a lot with, um, uh, conflict resolution within the, I worked in, um, local prison system and also with youth. And then I was doing display justice work and I was trying to get all these communities to work and, and talk to each other. Cause there were so many common yeah. issues. Right. Uh, and folks, you know, we're interested, I think, intellectually, but in real life, they were exhausted. And so Mm. nothing, (laughs) you know, people didn't have the capacity in order to really have these deeper conversations. And so what happened is that we are all constantly leaving each other out of our analysis of the ways we are looking at our activist work. And I was also noticing that a lot of people were burning out um, and leaving activist communities. And we were uh, experiencing this situation where, you know, you have young people come in, lots of energy, fresh, but they're also going through their own uh, self-identity process uh, of understanding how they relate to the world, which is incredibly valuable and beautiful. And to do movement work, it's like we have to be able to build on that, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. like sort of the doorway to this idea of collective liberation. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, to not have folks who can who were sticking around elders in the room, we were losing that, and it was it felt to me like movements were always kind of getting set back to really young, like to these places where uh, people were just sort of identifying the problem, and so all of that made, <laughs> made me really question what could help, like what could I offer or think about or like what on earth could I do yeah. to support change to support yeah. elders being able to stay within community to support people being able to like think intersectionally deeper about different kinds of um, complex issues. And I, I was really curious about self-care. This was like 12, 13 years ago before self-care really got commercialized. I think in the way we think about it now and uh so I went and interviewed over 30 people doing really different types of activist work because I didn't have the answers around self-care. I was like, I need to go find this out too. <laughs> yes. And so I went and talked to a bunch of people doing organizing work in, across the U.S., in Mexico, in Nicaragua, and asked them, you know, hey, what does self-care look like for you? How does this show up in your movement work or not? Um, and had some amazing conversations through that. Yeah. And really came to this idea of self-care being really quite complex. But to me, I do believe now 
that self-care can be one component of doing, uh, I'm sorry, it can be one component of building capacity, Mm. of building creative capacity for movement work. Mm. Say more about that. So creative, creative capacity. Um, What, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So I ended up creating my own definition of self-care, which is very dense, (laughs) but really there was like, there's some key components to self-care to me. One is developing a relationship with what we need. Yeah. That is something we are not taught to do in our families and our society, you know, to get really in touch with what we actually need in a moment. And it's very difficult because it's always changing. Like what I need this moment is going to be different than what I need in five minutes. So having that kind of nimble relationship to what you need is a real practice. That's a really beautiful part to me of self-care. And then, so the second part of self-care, the second component to me is how we are related to place, meaning Mm. what do we brace against that's not just people? What's outside? What, What sort of capacity can we bring in for support? that it isn't just other people, other people, great, but like what else? And for me, place, spirit, those are components to bring in to kind of support and uplift and brace against when I need, when I need that, when I'm feeling sad and, and lost and alone. Uh, So another component of self-care is being aware of what's around us. So how, we are in relationship with other people and affecting them and how they're affecting us. And this is really about the relationships. Like are, are our relationships interdependent? Do they have gentleness and care centered in them? Are they dysfunctional? Um, and the last, the last component is really like allowing ourselves to have a chance to really learn from, <laughs> from successes and failures, to not beat ourselves up about it. Yeah. So those are some components to me that kind of make up self-care, which is different than, than I think how we're taught to think about self-care, like bubble baths and yeah, and spending money and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. There's, I, I, I think, I think what you identify, what I, what I hear you identifying is that there are ways that self-care, the, the definition that, that, that you, you're describing for us. Um, one, it feels so, it, it feels like it it interacts the spirit at a much deeper level it 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 it, uh, it intersects the body um, as as well um, if, if those two things that if those are two things that we can tease apart I don't know maybe we'll figure it out by the end of our chat uh, <laughs> or not who knows uh, but I think what you're identifying is that these other things like like the bubble bath like the the thing that that one could treat oneself to are things that can be purchased things that can be experienced for the exchange of value. And that, um, that are, that a marketing team, our economy can, can identify and quantify. Whereas what you've described are things that ref that are reflections of an inward reality. Um, and, and our relationship to this yeah. world and the, the communities we're part of, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
how much of this work of of the care of the self um in in your ex- in your experience how much of that work is is work that needs to be done like on the inside like individually internally and how much of that work is work that can be done in the context of community hmm it's a beautiful question i mean i have this hope and dream that there are spaces where a lot of this work could be done in community i personally haven't experienced that so for Mm. me the way that i have really come at understanding and practicing self-care has been through deep internal work taking time to reflect taking time to uh slow down which is an incredibly radical and and confrontive thing to do in the world we live in. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how I've kind of come about trying to learn and practice. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you raise a good point. I'm, we're in pre-production now, the, the episode, um, you and I ta- had, had quite a conversation about how to, about intention, intentions around accessibility and accommodations for people to be able to to digest and interact with the ideas of the guests on this show. Um, a lot of a lot of the language that I had to come into this work before um, before you and I chatted about it actually came from your work. So thanks for that already. But to this point, um, one of the ways that that people are hopefully interacting with the content is on YouTube so that they can see your and my lips moving. Um, YouTube has done this thing now. I just noticed it the other day where they are, they are giving people more tools to go faster to the thing, to different, like, to like, you can, you can speed up the, the rate at which an, a video plays. You can, see the parts once once a video has been watched enough times you can see the parts where everybody skips to and then skip the rest um so this this notion of the internal work being about slowing down and at least for me when 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 i slow down i tend to pay attention more or frankly just fall asleep um which, uh-huh. which might be me just like paying attention to the body is decidedly countercultural. I think that's what makes display justice and display community so radical is, I mean, I can't take credit mm. for learning these processes of, of functioning. I really yeah. learned this within CRIP community or disability community uh, because it takes time and we all have to go slower in order to make sure that everyone understands what's being said in a room to make sure interpreters are able to keep pace with the person sharing. I think it's so interesting, you know, um, for example, even going to like a poetry reading where uh, an organization has done a lot of work and are really proud and congratulating themselves and like getting ASL interpreters, but then they don't instruct the poets to read at a slower pace. And so the interpreters end up missing a, a lot of what poets are actually saying because they can't keep up with the really rapid fire pace that we're used to performance poetry being. Uh, So, you know, it's like if I'm in a room of disabled folks, guaranteed we're all going to be communicating a little bit differently. We're going to need different kinds of access to show up, to be Mm -hmm. comfortable. Um, And I'd like to touch on something, actually. I think 
that I've learned also in, in working with a lot of non-disabled, non-disabled community or, or what we call abled's, um, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, folks oftentimes can kind of relate to access as this idea of comfort and comfort is great. You know, I, I often start as a facilitator, you know, asking people to also, sh- you know, share their name, pronouns, access needs, those kinds of things. And people will say, oh, you know, for access, I might need to get out of my chair and sit on the floor, or I might need to get up and, and use the restroom, or I might need to get some water or whatever these these things are. And yeah. I, I try to make a point. That's awesome. Great. Please do those things. That's about comfort. Access is something different. Access means it is the ability to literally participate in something or not. And that's very different. Mm-hmm. If I am unable to get through the door, that's an access need. Like I need a ramp yes. to get over the stairs <laughs> to get into the door. So, or through the door. Um, so identifying the difference between access and comfort is helpful, I think, sometimes to to think about pacing and slowness. Like it's, yes, I want gentleness and care and uh, comfort to be part of our activist spaces, but I also want accessibility, which actually takes work. It's not just this individual responsibility. It's a community responsibility. It's a group responsibility. Hmm. And, and and one that, to, to connect back to one of the other things that you were talking about, like being aware of what we need and that needs change. So this this work is ongoing. There is no time when it is can it could be considered complete that's correct i'm constantly learning every time i'm around other disabled folks i learn more yeah <laughs> and i learn more as my body yeah. evolves too about what access looks like for me as well yeah this feels um Maybe I maybe maybe I'm mixing metaphor a little bit. Maybe the the wordplay, I'll I'll find a better I'll find better language for it and fix it in post. But I'm thinking about all of the movement work that I've had the privilege of being a part of about around like the early days of the lockdowns, around working through like anti Asian violence, around the early days of um well frankly this year trying to trying to like support my colleagues around trans visibility around the the more the more time that i pay attention to some of some of my spaces w- where i am disability and have less access um like being disabled um so i turn my i'm turning my attention to the work of the emotional burden of getting our abled friends on board with the importance of access. I'm wondering, um, for you, and, and you talk a little bit about this in the book, about like whether or not it's your responsibility to teach this lesson to someone. And sometimes it's not, and sometimes it is. Um, 
there's there's this incre- you you describe an interaction with uh with a student at a workshop where you said um maybe it's just not my responsibility to teach you this lesson um i'm wondering if you can say what is the decisioning process like to say um how much how hard do i need to work to make the importance of access accessible <laughs> to mm-hmm. an abled person mm-hmm. well sometimes i don't have a choice sometimes it's yeah. literally about my survival um, and that's often, I feel like that's probably 90% of the work in my day-to-day life is, is fighting for my survival in terms of accessibility to access services, to access, um, and have accountability from, um, entities that, you know, say they're going to provide X and then don't, you know, those kinds of things. So sometimes yeah. I don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, when I do have a choice to me, I have learned the very hard way that it has to be a spiritual choice. And what I mean by that is that accountability takes a lot. It takes somebody else being in a position and a place to actually be cracked open enough to hear you, to, to take that time, to be in a place of uh, spaciousness enough to, to receive what you're saying, to contemplate it, to maybe not react right away, but like have a, have a chance to reflect. Uh, And those are kind of magical times. Like they don't happen very often. And so, Mm. you know, I kind of, I feel like I go up to the edge a lot. Like I, I'll say one or two things. And if somebody just dismisses what I'm saying, I know that this is not going to be a time where I get to be that person that brings us to the, to the next level in deepening around accessibility or in deepening around, you know, what, what climate change could could look like for us in terms of place and um, how we touch in with things that scare us. I mean, there's, there's so much that I do through my work that uh, I feel like it's a lot about accountability. And I, I have come to the place of choosing gentleness because hurting myself, pushing through that wall when somebody truly is unable to show up or hear me and I'm alone you know, it's not like I'm doing this with a community or a group of people. I think that sometimes yeah. can be really different and can look really different. Um, but when I'm, I'm by myself trying, trying to do this, <laughs> then it's okay for me to really pay attention to like what, how things are actually unfolding and what is going to be useful or not. And it's very disappointing sometimes. It's very, ugh, it can be heartbreaking. It can be heartbreaking sometimes. And that's the spiritual practice for me is like, how do I let them be in their journey, even though it affects me in a negative way mm-hmm. and do the best I can to just move on and survive. So. That feels the, the, the reaction that I'm having, the, the capacity to have that level of discernment feels like an incredible gift. Ooh, it's hard one. <laughs> it's only because I do it. I've done it so much since I could talk that yeah. <laughs> you get smacked down so much. You're like, hmm, this feels a little similar. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it, 
it it seems like then I w- I would liken it to like developing a muscle of like building the building emotional and spiritual muscle memory around uncomfortable um, social stimuli. I guess it's mm, a really interesting way to put it. Hmm. Um. I'm gonna um I'm gonna go back to a question I'm gonna go back to a question um that came from um an idol of, a, a hero of mine um Chris Tippett um in a recent interview she did and asked thinking like thinking about that space of of the this work of the spaciousness of, of access and accessibility um, and what is needed to, to make the world um, more, more accessible to everyone. What do you think happens if we get it right? We spend so much time talking about how many how many things are wrong, right? And and rightly so, because we we need that language to be able to say, well, here's 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 the barrier, here's the problem, here's how we fix it, right? But like, what what it, what do you think is possible in in like the twenty twenties if we can start starts not the right word because more people have we stand on we stand on the shoulders of others, but if if we can continue in this work of getting it right if we get it right then that means we all survive i mean that's mm-hmm. like i mean it's very basic and very radical all at the same time we live in a world where lots of people are expected to not survive where lots of people are are uh are through systematic and and cultural and social uh expectations and rules set up to not survive. So if we're in a world where access is truly part of everything, then that means everybody gets to survive. What a frustratingly disappointing low bar for success. (laughs) And beautiful, right? Because like, if we all get to survive, then we all get to do things like create art or, yeah. share meals or yeah. learn from each other. I mean, this it means it means that we're in relationship in some way. One of my favorite books uh, that I've recently read um, is by Corbett O'Toole. It's called Fading Scars, My Queer Disability History. And one of the beautiful things that I think Corbett does is really talk about the history of disability community. She, she just happened to be part of, she moved to Berkeley um, in the Six, late 60s, uh, just happened to be part of some really key moments of, of disability history and writes about this and writes about, you know, being a disabled parent and writes about, um, you know, disability sports, you know, adaptive sports, different things in her in her book. But one of the, the beautiful things is she writes about what disability culture really looks like like how beautiful it is and what it looks like when it works. And it's not perfect. Of course, it's not perfect. People got left out. I mean, there's like lots of critique, of course. (laughs) And, 
you know, it's, it's people who are actively trying to achieve a goal and do it together. Yeah. Uh, and disabled folks who really, you know, need a lot of uh, different supports. So, yeah. yeah. So I think in terms of examples, that's something that, that I think if listeners are interested, I would really suggest. So the thing that's becoming increasingly clear is that there is going to be a book club um, because nearly every person on, on the show has recommended something. Um, nice. So, so um, I'll, I'll put that on, the, I'll put that on the Instagram and, Love and, it. and links and stuff. Um, amazing. In addition, in, I mean, in addition to the, the book that you have, that's already out, um, we'll talk about your upcoming book in a moment. Um, but the piece that I'm noticing in reading the book, um, um, reading um, the journalism um, that you've done before, and getting to chat to you, this now the second time that I've had the privilege, is that in spite of how difficult and how, frankly, dark and sad and depressing this work can be, you have a gentle... sense of humor about yourself that frankly inspires me um you have the capacity to to talk about these really difficult things with a laugh and a chuckle <laughs> um there it is that um that i that that to me feels reasonably uncommon in this work because the because and and not just not just disability justice, but but movement work in general, because we mm -hmm. care so much about these things, and it's and it's usually mo movement work because the work is hard and it's an uphill battle. So I would love to know what are the sorts of things, people, places, and ideas that help like lift you up, that help keep you going um, when when the chips are down and when when morale is low. I think I resort a lot to play and being in my mm -hmm. curiosity uh, mm -hmm. when I am feeling really frustrated and pissed off. <laughs> so what that means is like, um, you know, just like noticing what's around me, what's there yeah. to play with. So a good example of this is, uh, you know, a while ago I was uh, going through my neighborhood and I had seen like a social media post where somebody was talking, I love plants. And I, I really would love to learn more about plants, which is challenging, again, because of access uh, with learning about herbalism and things. But, yeah. uh, you know, I had seen a social media post about somebody talking about milky oats and they were showing what it was and, and stuff. And so, you know, I live in the desert, but there's a wash that goes through my neighborhood, which is it's like what the rest of the country would call a river. But it's, yeah. um, you know, it's dry most of the year and then runs with the rains. So yeah. things grow in it that don't normally grow other places. And I was passing by and I noticed something that looked like milky oats. So, you know, I make my partner pull over the car. I jump out. I'm like standing in the wash. People are driving by. My partner's like a little embarrassed. <laughs> I'm like, like, what are you doing? Anyway, I'm playing with it. I like pick yanking out clumps. You know, I bring it home. I'm like, I'm going to make medicine out of this. I'm going to figure out how to do a tincture. Oh. And I, I do. And then, you know, I try to practice using it. And I mean, there's just things to me that like are playful that that I'm surrounded with all the time, like paying attention to the hummingbirds, 
the fly through my neighborhood or the way really learning about desert plants for me is awesome because I learn about how there are many ways to survive in mm. very parched and, and intense circumstances. Uh, so, I mean, I'm constantly inspired and surrounded by things that are amazing. It's just like taking that time yeah. to play and learn and be curious about it. I would, I would love to hear more about the milky oats tincture um, <laughs> because, because that already sounds delicious. And it also sounds, the, sounds like you have a lawsuit waiting for you with Chobani that like, they should be, they should be like, like it sounds, I'm, I'm guessing you had the copyright on that locked down like a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> on milky oats? Oh, absolutely not. This is like ancient medicine, right? <laughs> No, of, of course my yes, grandmother's yes. my nana's medicine right yeah. <laughs> thank goodness thank goodness that medicine exists yes um but um um humor set aside um the work the work of tinctures um medicine of of healing um is is work that because i don't at least for me, and I, w I would suppose um, the vast majority of at least the the our, our country, the U.S. population, has no capacity to understand the importance of, because it's not, natural medicine is, is not something that we are that we have the language in our media to talk about as a legitimate form of healing, number one. And number two, um, at least from what I can see, it, it has a different connotation because of all of the industry around um, holistic wellness right now. Uh, which, is, which is not to say that any of those industries can't have components of of um, natural of natural medicine and tincture work and, and healing um, but I, I don't think that there is the slowness that you're talking about to be able to understand like the heritage of that why it's important why it has been something that as you said um, is passed to you from your nana um, the thing that I love about plant medicine, or at least that I've come to learn that I love about plant medicine, is how subtle it is. I, You know, we're taught that medicine is going to be a cure, right? Like you have an ailment, and then somehow medicine intervenes, and then you're, yeah. you're restored. You're back to like the way you were before, which actually in reality, having gone through many, many medical procedures, actually is very untrue. <laughs> it's not actually even how medicine works. <laughs> but it's like how we like to think about it, right? That there's a problem, there's a cure. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really talked a lot about in Sustaining Spirit, actually, which is the book on self-care you were talking about, um, is how I think about healing versus mending. So, you know, healing is this concept of cure, restoration, that we go, you know, we have this X surgery or we take X pill and we're back to the way we were before. In reality, it's, there's a beautiful example, a friend of mine that I share that a friend of mine who's a, a knitter, she talks about mm -hmm. mending a piece that has like a hole in it 
Um, yeah. And so she talks about how, like, yes, you can mend it with the same color yarn, but it'll always be just like a little bit off from the color of the yarn that's been washed a bunch of times. The yeah. texture will feel differently. It's, you know, it's going to, it's going to be changed. The piece of clothing is forever altered. Yes. And I think about that with mending a lot in terms of our own bodies, our own spirits, our relationships. It's like how oftentimes the quote unquote medicine is often very subtle and it supports us yeah. in having balance or in versus like this cure or restoration. And so that's one of the things I really love about plant medicine is that you could take, you can't take enough to like fix things. I mean, uh, probably I'm sure some people will disagree with me. I have not had the experience <laughs> of plant medicine where you you take things and it's you're automatically fixed right so it's like supporting it's a it's a subtle support but it's an actual support it's real it's there that's so interesting and and this might not even be connected um but i would i think i would yeah I i would love to hear your um I would love to hear your thoughts on it regardless. I the thing I, I think um that that this this notion of like the real support, the real connection, the real relationship um like the real the real whatever whatever real is 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 is, is, is I think like what what is at the heart of of this conversation of what does it mean um what does it mean to be human and to be in 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 community with each other and i think what this work of um the the holistic wellness industry is is trying to do is trying to sell us things that will give us opportunities to experience that without actually being real mm. I really relate to the concept of real as <laughs> like, or my truth Yeah. Uh, as if I'm, if I'm relating to it, honestly, it's going to be layered and complex and nuanced yeah. and probably have contradictions. Mm-hmm. Like that's real. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's this practice of grappling with those contradictions of grappling and trying to understand and be in relationship with, the ways that I feel truthful in relationship to things around me. Um, And it's in that work to me that true radical change can happen because it requires a lot of gentleness and it requires a lot of grace. It can't be something done with a ton of judgment. Yeah. And yeah. Releasing the need for judgment, I I, I feel like is. And releasing the need for judgment. And I I suppose what goes along with judgment is. As you're talking about the the concept of support um, and and mending is the appearance of a, of like a specific desired outcome. 
that there has to be a certain exact outcome that we reach in mm-hmm. order for us to consider something real successful mm-hmm. successful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. and i wouldn't say i, I live with completely without judgment because of course i have judgment <laughs> I mean, I'm a human being living in this yeah, world. Of yeah. course I have judgment. It's yeah. just like I have judgment and other things <laughs> and taking the time to maybe see bigger picture, or other perspectives, or uh, even just like, dang, that hurts. Acknowledging my feelings around it. Right. Like those things. But I do think that the tie to resolution is huge. And I I think that that's one of the things I really struggle about with a lot of the way our movements are structured Mm -hmm. is like, if we just do these X things, then we will have this resolution and restitution that will make everything all better. Hmm. And it's difficult to work within that when you actually physically represent the contradiction of that. So for an example, (laughs) an example is like in environmental movements, you know, there's a lot of, if we have zero waste or if we remove all plastics from our environment, then that will like get us back to a place where we are restored, right? Environmentally. Um, And for me as a disabled person, it's like I either, uh, I don't know if I survive very well in that world without those, without any sort of waste and without plastic. You know, in a very, very simple sense, if I want to drink a glass of water, I need to use a plastic cup or a straw in order to yeah. do that on my own. So yeah. unless somebody wants to like hang out with me all day, every day and pick up the heavy glass so I can have my drink of water, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think what you're asked, what they're asking disabled folks to do isn't very realistic. And so how do we have conversations that are more nuanced and have conversations around equity versus maybe equality? Uh, Mm. I mean, it's layered, it's dense, it's difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm pausing because I just want to acknowledge we're about halfway through our record time. Um, how are we feeling like just self-wise? Are we, are we good to roll on? I am. Uh, how do you feel? I feel really good. I am like, I, I, I am just very, there are, there are so many like, in, like, I, I, I'm so inspired in this moment. I'm just sort of like thinking through, like my body is excited and, um, energized by our conversation um which which feels amazing so indeed let's continue um i'm reflecting on this piece about the difference between equality and equity um and i'm wondering if you i'm wondering if you can tease out some of the differences uh, Mm -hmm. for us so maybe there's some people in our society that will always need to use cars and other folks that really can figure out using bikes and trikes and and taking that on as something that they can do uh that's equity based right that like some people for literal access to literally survive and participate in society 
might yeah. need ask access to a vehicle and yeah. other folks don't. So that's what I'm talking about with a very simple example of like equity versus equality, like taking it away from everyone and that being equal or mm. making the difficult and often very challenging. I mean, it's hard as a human being to be like, but that person gets it, but I don't, you know, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't struggle with that? Of course. But we need skill sets around that. We need skill sets about how to live in a society where equity is the com- the basis of the conversation versus equality. We're going back to this language of barriers and access. Um, what do you see are the the barriers that keep us to at least having more earnest is not the right word maybe transparent is um and i hate the idea that there has to be progress or some sort of end product on account of the conversation we've just had but what (laughs) what what are the barriers to us having a more generative conversation about this exhaustion Everybody's exhausted. It's exhausting surviving in this society and world we live in. Capitalism, whew, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. The pace, the urgency, the demands, what we have to do to survive, to make money and pay money to live, all of that is exhausting. Uh, I think that's, to me, a huge barrier. And, And honestly... That's why I wrote this book around self-care. Not that it's going to be the solution, right? Like nothing is like the one answer, but it's a component. It's something that we can use, a tool that we can use to juice up our own capacity in this really intensive and destructive society that we live in. I want to talk about a specific... um... A specific phrase that that came up not just in the book but in other other content of yours that I've read, um, and that is "Dandi um, estatu ombligo," which, from the from the limited training in Spanish I I have, um, I believe trans translates directly to "Where is your belly button?" But but you use this incredible phrase in in the book it's one of the first things that that comes up um where are you rooted yeah it's a dicho so donde esta tu umbligo is a dicho it's a saying and so it's it's not like you know like a money sayings it doesn't necessarily mean the literal translation but more like where is your umbilical cord buried where Mm. are you rooted um this this piece of rootedness um how appropriate that it should form the the foundation of of the conversation of the book um i i'm increasingly convinced that a part of the a part of the conversation in our in our world and in how quickly it moves is a slow loss of our sense of rootedness. There's a question in this, I promise. Um, 
Um, what are what are little things that we can be doing mm -hmm. to help us be reminded of our rootedness? So there's a few things. Like this is actually a really huge question to me. <laughs> so there are a few things. So one one is that we live in a time of placelessness where that's encouraged, where we are encouraged to live online in spaces that, of course, community can exist and such too. They're not necessarily negative, right? But they're not necessarily, they're not place-based. Uh, so we, you know, we can go to any airport in the world and maybe not even know where we are in the world because yeah. it's designed to look placeless or a mall, right? Yeah. Like many, much of capitalism is designed to, to bring us out of place. Um, so that's one component to me that I think is really important that we're not uh, taught, right? Like, the, the, yeah. Um, so in becoming rooted, again, another piece of this is that people often think to access nature, you need to be in wild spaces. And uh, Siren Nagasaki, who um, runs this amazing organization, Disabled Hikers, has a really... Mm great way of talking about how that's a really false dichotomy, wild and urban. That of course there are there's nature in urban spaces and there's urbanness in, in wild spaces <laughs> in this time that we live in. And so, you know, it's about noticing to me what's around you. So if I am I live in the city, you know, if I'm outside, how am I interacting with the sun? What's the sky look like? The other day I was outside and there was this amazing uh, rainbow and it was, it was incredible. <laughs> and, and people were coming outside and getting their mail and different things. And everybody was like shouting to each other, like, oh my gosh, you see this gigantic rainbow. And that was incredibly beautiful to me. That was a way of connecting in, in with place and just noticing this like little gift that we got in this random Monday, you know, afternoon. <laughs> and yeah. so, um, so it's like noticing, you know, where you feel rooted. Sometimes people feel rooted in in terms of family or in terms of ancestors, and that's okay too. So maybe it's the kitchen table where somebody feels yeah. really rooted or making a certain dish uh, that their family makes, and that's where they feel rooted. I mean, rootedness is like a, a sense of place and strength, uh, of support, um, but it, it's it's just like tying us to something else besides this sort of like fast moving blob of a world that we live in. Uh, yeah. It's allowing us to, to sink into something. Like your favorite couch. Yes. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by this idea of false dichotomies of things that we things that we think are are opposites of each other but probably aren't are there any other favorites that come to mind um as we're sort of breaking we're breaking misconceptions uh, which which i say to 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 avoid using the phrase myth busting there <laughs> oh my goodness i honestly think that most things that people think of as opposites aren't so <laughs> 
if you if you take a moment and and sink into it. Uh, but I don't know if I have anything that really jumps up in my mind in the second. Gotcha. Ketchup and mustard. Mm. Yeah. Isn't vinegar in both of those? That's right. <laughs> uh, oh God. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, I was going to say salt and sugar, but then I rem- I reminded myself that salted caramel is delicious. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. There. Yeah, there. Now, now I'm doing now I'm doing this thought exercise of like what could possibly just not like be actually like polar opposites of each other. But. Yeah. Yeah, um, to to be continued for 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 another day, and and also <laughs> also at a time when I can't when like I'm sure you'll get are... some really amazing comments where somebody's like, "This, this is it," and you'll be like, "You did it, you found it." <laughs> I'll be I'll be like, I, I I'm clapping now. I'll be like, "Good job, internet. Good job, internet." Um. I want I want to pause for a moment. One of the things that that you and I um, committed to as as a part of the accessibility of this project uh, is doing visual description oh, of um, what our um, what what our what our our uh, our recording spaces look like. Um, would you like to do the honors? I would. Yeah. So my name is Naomi Ortiz. I'm a light skinned mestizo. Uh, and in the space that I'm in is there's some green walls and bookshelves with lots of different kinds of books on it. I'm wearing a black bolero that has white stitching on it and hoop earrings and some amazing lipstick that we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm Polly Reese. I'm sitting in a in a room um that has mostly white walls i've got um a a burlap coffee sack over um my right shoulder to help um make my ikea storage organizer look a little less boring um (laughs) there there are a bunch of other um other things a typewriter um and a a musical keyboard and and a chair where i do a lot of my sitting and thinking um where i'm gonna do most of my false dichotomy thinking (laughs) Um, and there's uh there's some backlighting um that is purple um the other the other thing that's that's there that i really love is i have a typewriter because um as as partially an example from um an inspiration from from naomi's work um i'm trying to do things in an intentionally slower way um i am a sort of like medium sort of like 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 caramelized cream ish um korean um per- person um i've got great uh phenomenal sort of like bright ish um red um lip stain on um and a floral shirt and uh and which is on little... point by the way Love thank it. you thank mm-hmm. you um mm-hmm. shout, shout out to like all of the all of the um like the the tall girls websites which are like the only place where you can buy like clothing as a trans person as like a like a male body trans person um because the proportions are right um and 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 also very luscious long black hair um and headphones um so um i appreciate i appreciate you you 
um, raising um, these these questions and and the sort of support um, like the the work of co learning was one of the things that I that I also took away from your book um, because and, and and it's it's come up multiple times in our chat already that there that we we are always learning from each other we always have the opportunity to learn from each other if we are open to it um or to not learn and to be like thank you and and (laughs) moving on yes and and to choose to choose out out to, to choose to just move on for whatever reason and it doesn't matter what the reason is um I wonder um, where, and it, maybe this is a restatement of, of the, the piece of, about um, engaging in, in other people's spaces for learning and other people's journeys of learning and where they're at. Um, but where does the capacity to not, to, where does the capacity to choose to continue learning as opposed to choosing not to learn, where does that capacity come from? I sup- I'm going to deconstruct my own comment because there is a there is an assumption there um, that learning is a good thing. Um, so I guess the first question is: um, Is learning a good thing? Um, um, there's another there's there's another la- layer under there is is learning usually a good thing um let's start there well i think again that learning is a spiritual question mm. if learning mm. is a good thing or not is a spiritual question something mm. that we can really only know by what our bodies and our spirits tell us like the responses mm. that we have you know, to learn to survive abuse, you know, is that necessarily, or, or to stay in an abusive situation, is that necessarily a good thing? My body is probably going to tell me no uh, mm. through the ways that my stomach might hurt or the um, my skin or joints might, you know, curl up uh, in response to somebody coming in the door. I mean, those, these are, these are spiritual questions of like, what feels right and holding a little grace that we may not always know and that we have to learn through trial and error um, or not learn. And it's like, I, I mean, I think this goes back to the idea of like gentleness, right. To yeah. uh, sometimes it's not our place to have to learn all the stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, I understand the question that I was trying to ask now. Um, where cult- cultivating that spiritual practice of discerning when when to learn and when not to learn. Um, where does the capacity for developing that spiritual practice come from? To me, that's really a skill of learning to touch in with what scares us. And honestly, this is actually what my, my um, 
current project is really on <laughs> is what is right to um, like comparing my experience with certain things that I, I feel like I'm getting um, from the land in terms of what it needs to my own experience in society and with relationships and feeling really conflicted about it. Hmm. So through, so, um, okay. So let me back up. Sorry. Um, so this project oh, yeah. is called ritual rituals for climate change, a crip struggle for eco justice. Hmm. It's part poetry and part essay. And it's really my own journey trying to understand how to be in relationship with place as hmm place is changing. And especially for me, how much place has been the sanctuary, this uh, thing I can go back to that doesn't doesn't need anything from me in, in the sense of like, you know, normal relationships. It doesn't, it, I can show up and just be needy and, yeah. you know, place can hold that a lot of times. Uh, but now I feel like I live in a time where place needs me and that scares the crap out of me. I don't know how how to be what it needs and what does yeah. it need i mean what can i do as an individual and so i there's a series of conversations i have with the land where i'm asking the land this and the land communicates back and one of the things the land communicates back to me is to love it harder and at first i'm like this is amazing of course I can love harder. I'm down with love. Love is something I can do. I'm all in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then I'm driving away and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does loving harder really mean? Because when I've tried to love harder in my relationships, it oftentimes has been in situations where I am putting myself on the back burner to meet somebody else's needs or, um, mm. Uh, suppressing my own needs in order to be there uh, for somebody else. And it's been very dysfunctional for me in my life, uh, this idea or the way I've thought about in the past, loving harder. Um, So again, it's this big journey of like going back to the desert and having more conversations around what, what that looks like. And um, yeah. And so for (laughs) it's this nuanced and very slow uh, process that I went through and, I like this idea of uh, accompaniment. Like I, I feel very much like my work is supporting and accompanying folks who are also interested in, in trying to touch these yeah. things that scare us. And they're yeah. also accompanying me in, in this journey too. Uh, and that's to me, ultimately such a beautiful thing about when community is working, it's, it's a, it's a relationship of accompaniment. Um, so something that I've, I've been contemplating a lot. Yeah. When community is working, whew, um, you have, you have me circling back to, to the language that we were talking about, about like, we all get to survive. We all get to, w- and it, and and the the joy the the sad and joyous low bar that that is, um, but now, I, I I wonder if this conversation is now socially 
acceptable because we all now have a common existent. Well, we've, we've, we are all now in the process of surviving multiple existential threats uh, mm-hmm. to our survival. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thinking about, think, so thinking about COVID, thinking about some of the, some of the, the forecasts about, um, our our place and and the help that it needs um and and thinking thinking about our abled sibs and all of all of these all of these pieces um that are being drawn together is there does it does it feel like there is more language and more and and a more accessible environment to have these com- conversations ar- around disability and around 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 access in in a more open public forum I don't know. I mean, I see a lot of disabled people doing a lot of labor towards that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I also see the results of living in a society that it's okay if disabled people die, where that's tolerated. We saw that very blatantly through COVID. We continue to see it with people yeah. unwilling to even just mask or, or basic things. Yeah. Um, we see that through privatization of Medicaid and like what people are having to do to fight to uh, maintain systematic support to like stay in their own homes. Yeah. We're seeing this through multiple, multiple levels. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that I, I'm waiting and praying, I'm hoping, wishing, <laughs> uh, holding, holding spacious hope for the day when folks have some capacity to slow down and what it and and touch in with maybe the gifts that disability brings because one of the things i think is interesting is like you know disability is something that we're taught we should not want right in society like you're not supposed to want disability and disability makes you vulnerable we're also taught that which isn't some ways true so of course our response to that is to push away from it it's like, I don't want to like push away, you know, I don't want to be like right up next to things that make me feel vulnerable and make me, uh, things I'm not supposed to want. Like it's, it's scary, right? It's again, that touching things that scare us. Yeah. And if we're constantly pushing that away, then we're pushing disabled people away and we're unable to take in the gifts that disabled people bring. I'm 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 thinking about I'm I'm thinking about the media cycle and and how there there every possible piece of media that one could consume on television or on the internet is about is a is about uh, or or at least that I've seen which is the reason why the show exists to be to be able to provide an alternative um, is is about 
making the thing making about about helping us increase our distance from the the things that scare us so that we so that we have a reason to not touch them mm. um just about any number of things about it's uh, um we're we're recording in august about why it was wrong for the president to be photographed eating an ice cream cone <laughs> like but ice cream is delicious who wouldn't want to have an ice cream cone um well appropri- appropriately mod- modified to suit your dietary need of course but um cuz um cause, mm-hmm. cause y- your girl your girl doesn't do well with dairy um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah no, no 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 but like who doesn't want to have an ice cream cone like who doesn't who doesn't want to be able to slow down and take a break um as as you've said because because the the work is exhausting um which where we return to um so in in doing all of this thinking um i i want to pivot a little bit and i want to pivot a little bit to vision casting and so our our uh i i I want. I want to ask the question: um, um, What do you want the world to look like when you're done with it? In my world, we go a little slower. Mm. We have a little more patience for ourselves and other people. We take the time to notice what's around us and appreciate it. Be in relationship with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of simple. <laughs> it's like my dream world. <laughs> I'm thinking about a friend, um, a friend who's a cook. Um, and, and she always says, simple things are the most beautiful things, but they're so hard to get right. Mm. It's a beautiful statement. Yes. And lots of good food. Can I add that into my... <laughs> um so so tell me this um because because one of one of the things that that you talk about in the book that that i love so much is you you talk about food a lot in in sustaining spirit you talk about Uh you talk about food a lot um can you give me um can you give me a, a a top four of like foods that just is there a favorite food top four list for you Ooh. Or is that an is that not a fair question to ask? Oh my goodness. I feel like that puts me more on the spot than any of the questions you've asked me before. <laughs> I'm all like tamales. Wait a minute. Salsa. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. We so we can just I'll rephrase the question. We can just start a list. Um, of amazing food. Like, yeah. Like if if you weren't recording the podcast right now, um, what would satisfy and and you could be um, because one of the things that you talk about is how how restorative like the right the right plate of food at the right time um, can be. Mm. Um, so if you weren't taping the show with me right now, what would be the right plate for this time? Oh my gosh, probably a green corn tamale and like a giant bowl of blueberries. <laughs> 
which sounds like a little bit weird to eat together. That sounds amazing right now. I, I I mean I don't fault you at all. Blueberries are delicious, and they're one of the they're one of the things that grows like it's like it and strawberries. I think like they grow in like the majority of climates in this country. Really, they do not grow here. I feel very sad about that. <laughs> Ugh. Um, that's that is very depressing. Um, like I. May, or, or, or or maybe I'm reading wrong, or maybe I'm mis misremembering because that happens all the time too. Um, <laughs> it's my but, dream uh, to go someplace and like have fresh picked blueberries that I can eat. Because in my mind, oof. of course, they're going to be like even better than what you can buy in the store. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, um, you're reminding me of my grandmother's. Uh, rest in peace my grandmother's blueberry patch growing up like as as like a kid and in like like cutoffs and and bare feet in the the rolling hillside of as of yet mostly commercially untouched central pennsylvania Mm. um it's all like supply chain distribution warehouses now but um um of picking them off and and yes like when when they're ripe they're like you have to pick them so gently otherwise they crumble and and release the delicious sugary diabetic friendly goodness like off the vine like as soon as you pull them um and the like the the vines are are um temperamental so like you you might have like you you might have some that are that are overripe and others that need at least a, a week more on the same vine like next huh. to each other. So in other um, words, I need a buddy to go with me because I would crush everything. I just have like a bunch of blueberry juice. <laughs> I, I, awesome. I, I, I mean, I, su- I suppose if you have a funnel to capture all all of the juice, that's a that's also a perfectly acceptable way to consume a blueberry. Love that adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oof, blue, blueberries, blueberries, and tomato. Um, that um, that uh, th- that sounds amazing. Um, and that feels like a, a, an amazing place to um, to end our chat for the day. My guest has been um, the brilliant hungry to end it hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Polly. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't stop laughing. I'm gonna have a swig of tea and then and and just sort of like re regather composure. Um <laughs> mm. uh, um Yeah, that's not that's not fair to to, to leave an episode on hunger. Um <laughs> so um Drawing the, I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt some sense some sense of sort of like collecting the the threads, um, the the notion of well threads the notion of mending and and healing and and a state of a state of wholeness versus restoration of this space of rootedness and and being aware of place of um of how tired we all are um but how the work um 
is so so beautiful and and hopefully there's hopefully there's some beauty in acknowledging the 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 exhaustion and the exasperation at the same time that it could maybe just uh read a few sentences from the end of sustaining spirit actually thank you yeah so i end the book with a letter because uh yeah sometimes it's just nice to have a love letter Self-care is a practice of returning, of remembering, of noticing. And I go into thinking a little bit about where I, where those things happen for me. I also take shelter in the stars and the trees and under the soil. I remember to use the tools I've crafted like a lightning bolt to connect me from above to below ground. I return to my roots I know where they grow. Mihitaks, in your passionate learning, remember to be gentle with yourself. When living in a way where many truths exist at once, it is easy to get overwhelmed by the possibilities and the complexity. Accept all of who you are, because this is the place where you begin, the essential truth of your nature. You are precious. And it's up to you to carry this preciousness centered in your heart. I carry mine tenderly, wrapped up in an old piece of cloth my grandmother embroidered with the sun and stars. Sometimes remembering I'm precious takes all the courage I have. Sometimes it'll take all the courage you have too. And when in doubt, ask yourself, ¿Y dónde está mi obligo? Because you me and all life at the capacity and power to grow and be rooted. Find your rootedness, center yourself in your life, feel connected and supported by your essence and all of the unseen helpers. Being rooted gives us permission to have something to root to, not another person or activist community, but to the soil we come from the ancestors we come from, to Grandmother Moon, who is consistently and consistently there, and the energy from Great Spirit. When we are rooted to place, we are rooted to truth. Be rooted to reality, the present, here. Con brazos, which means with hugs. There we have it. My guest has been Naomi Ortiz. Thank you. Thank so you much so for much. This beautiful time. What a joyful conversation. Have a lot of gratitude, Polly. My thanks to my guest, Naomi Ortiz. Check out their website, naomiortiz.com, and follow them on social media at Naomi Ortiz Writer Artist. Check out their work, including their forthcoming book, Rituals for Climate Change a crip struggle for eco-justice in the links in the episode description. Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in Southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps people find Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Uncommon Good Pod. Follow us there for closed caption video content and more goodies. 
We love, love, love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on social media or an email at uncommongoodpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good.